Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Ian, the uh, Drew Lock Teddy Bridgewater competition is in full swing with the first day of minicamp going to Drew Lock. That's right. We are tallying up winners and losers during minicamp for the Denver Broncos quarterback competition. That is the world we currently live in in Broncos country ecstatic can you tell how ecstatic i am that that's what we're doing right now and me i I think uh listeners and viewers can see the excitement on my face that we are reliving another quarterback competition where we grade winners and not just in minicamp but otas i mean it it should tell you something about the situation when after one day of minicamp you've got people tweeting up and down twitter this guy won. Good for Drew Locke that he had a good day. Let's let's go there. Drew Locke had a pretty good day in minicamp. But that doesn't mean that Teddy Bridgewater had a bad day. In fact, everything I saw uh, was that he also did pretty well. Drew Locke just had some explosive plays, had some big plays in the red zone and some of the some of the uh, the drills that they were doing. And, and that's great. Like, I, I'm very, very pleased to hear that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, from, from, a, from a good news standpoint, you would rather have both your quarterbacks not pooping down their pants as opposed to playing well. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good problem to have. It means that both of them want the job and they're confident that they're going to go about and win it. Yeah. And yay. But I I guess the frustration has to be, and I don't want to people, Oh, you're always so negative. You're always so down. I'm negative and I'm down because we're sitting here in the middle of June, right? It's, it's, it's June 15th as we are sitting here recording this. And we are getting excited about mini camp victories for the quarterback who played horribly last year, was by many accounts the worst quarterback in the NFL. And he won over a guy who has played for more football teams than I can count probably because I'm not very good at counting. So that's, I suppose that's my fault. And I I'm struggling and we've talked about this. I'm struggling to be excited about it. Like I, I just can't do it. And it's just because we keep coming back to the same thing. If, if you're hanging your hat on Teddy Bridgewater and drew lock, if that's where your world is right now. And you're looking at this Denver Broncos team as constituted you're, you're, I appreciate the fandom and I'm, I'm rooting for both of them, no matter what. I'm just realistically looking at this and trying to figure out what actually gets better on offense in 2021. How do they get that extra three to six points that they need to win games? Because the defense I think got better, but did they get three to six points better per game? Are they going to be holding teams to 18 points a game, 15 points a game? Is that, is that a possibility? Because that's the only way I see this team really winning because I don't see the improvement on offense. I don't see it happening. And again, I know I'm the negative guy, right? I'll be negative Nelly. I'll be Debbie Downer. I'll do all those things for you. 
realistically speaking, where are you finding more points? And yes, Cortland Sutton's coming back. And yes, you're going to get uh, Albert O eventually. And yes, you've got Noah Fant who's going to continue to get better. I get all that. You still have Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterbacks. And that matters. That matters. I think the best way to sum up and describe the first day of minicamp came from Elvin Gordon when he met the media on Monday after practice. And he said, both confident. You can tell Teddy has been in the league for a while. I don't start judging until training camp. They're both confident and they both want it. I think that's how you have to approach this. Yes, it's great that Drew Locke won the first day of minicamp, but it means absolutely nothing. There you go. I mean, that yeah, the equation is A plus B equals zero at this point because none of it counts. And yes, you can you can find some positive stuff there with the fact that he had a good connection with Noah Fant and Drew Locke. That's fantastic. And like you said, Teddy Bridgewater did well. It wasn't that, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater did poorly, and that's why Drew Locke won. They both seemed to do well during this particular, uh, you know, section of minicamp during, you know, their first day of minicamp. And it just so happens that Drew Locke was the slightly better guy. Fantastic. That's great. Wonderful. Keep going. Right. But we are still playing in shorts. <laughs> we're still, you know, we're still wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I know they, they got the like the little mini uh, pads on sometimes. I think they sometimes wear their helmets. I don't really uh, know that any of that is going to matter all that much. If you're, if you're judging stuff in shorts, it's shorts, man. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty awesome in shorts too. You put pads on me. I'm probably not going to be able to do it. And I think that's the big thing that you want to see out of minicamp. It's trends. What trends are starting to develop either good or bad. And you want to see less of the bad, which given the Broncos have five straight losing seasons and four with no playoffs. I, I think the bar isn't that high. So now it's, it's, it's getting trends in the right direction. Less of the bad, more of the good. Thanks, Captain Obvious. But that's what you want to see over the course of OTAs, mini camp, heading into training camp. You want to be in as close to a position of playing good football as you can heading into training camp. Yeah, and, and whatever that definition yeah. is, only Vic Fangio and his coaching staff know what that is because they're the only ones who are with the players inside the rooms, talking about it, working, looking at the tape of practice. Only they can know what good football is heading into training camp. And I, I put my trust in Vic Fangio. I, I don't know if I necessarily put it with Pat Shermer, but we'll see. Um but I, I think that's what you want. It's all about trends, offensive line, defense. I, I think one of the best things that I've heard out of uh, minicamp is Patrick Sertan and how he has looked through OTAs and, and minicamp since he's shown up after being drafted in the first round. As James Palmer with NFL Network tweeted on Monday, Patrick Sertan does, doesn't look like a rookie, isn't being treated like a rookie either. He has walked in NFL ready and Denver seems to obviously see that that's huge. That is huge for the Broncos. It's huge for the defense. It's huge for the secondary. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. And we've talked about uh, PS2 a few different times 
Uh, and I, I've actually said he was a bad draft pick. And what I meant by that and what I mean by that is you had a potential QB of the future sitting there. I would have rather them taken the risk on that. That being said, all of the reports about Patrick Sertan is uh, all of them are glowing reports. They should make you excited about what he can do in this defense with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel and the things that they like to do. And so I actually really like how he fits with what the Denver Broncos defense is going to do. There, there's no doubt in my mind, he's going to be a stellar player. And so that actually has been uh, pretty exciting to hear about him and the way that he fits in the way that he isn't uh, he doesn't seem gun shy. He doesn't seem like the moment's too big for him. He doesn't seem like uh, he's overwhelmed. And I know, again, it's still just mini camp. They're all still wearing shorts, but when a guy gets it and he just kind of knows those are the kinds of things you can see before you really get to anything that's real. Like you can kind of tell, and then eventually you'll see it on the field, right? You'll see it when they, when they do start putting on the pads and they start actually uh, getting in some real work. So you're right. Uh, Patrick Sertan is, is one that has been a, a pretty big bright spot. And when you look at that defense again, and I keep going back to this, that defense is going to be really good. One of the best secondaries in the NFL, without a doubt. I mean, you could probably put them in the top. I know uh, pro football focus has already ranked them as the, their best defense. That's great. Yay. This is wonderful. But I come back to this point, you're, you know, you're getting Von Miller back. You have Bradley Chubb on the other side. You've got a defensive line with Shelby Harris and some guys rotating in. Draymond Jones is another year along. Uh, you can see that the defense is forming up to be very good, to be a formidable defense. I'm not going to call them generational. I'm not going to do the no-fly zone two thing because I think that's ridiculous. I am going to point out the fact, though, that even at their best, it's going to be difficult in today's NFL to hold teams to less than 21 points a game. And so I go back to the offense and go, are you going to get 22 points a game out of this offense? Is Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater going to lead you to enough points per game to make this defense worthwhile? Because they were very good last year. They were very good the year before. They have been a good defense for years now. Maybe not great. A few years they were just good, but they've been good for years. It's the offense that has been the letdown. It's the quarterback that has been the problem. Is it fixed? And you have to keep going back to that. So, no, I'm not excited about a, a Drew Locke minicamp win on day one. Like, I don't care. But it's not because I don't want Drew Locke to, to succeed. I do. It's because I'm, like you said, trends, right? I, it's all about trends. These are short-term trends. I'm looking at the long-term trends of, of what's been happening over the course of the last few seasons. So a couple of weeks at, at minicamp and OTAs isn't going to get me hyped. It's just not going to do it. And speaking of quarterbacks, Benjamin Albright made some news because he was, I'd say, very bullish about Aaron Rodgers and the Denver Broncos. He did an interview with, uh, Cle with something Cleveland-related and said that the odds are 60-40 that Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Denver Broncos. And he says that they are going to go all in when it comes, if it comes to a possible trade. And we've touched on that last week. We can touch on it again. I do think that Aaron Rodgers doing the match interview dropped a ball in saying that it, that it was complicated. Yeah, he could have, he could have, he could have seized on that opportunity, right? Life's all about opportunity and he, he maybe missed on that one, but 
this whole situation is complicated. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a complicated fella. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and so I'm not sure that that's really that much of an insult. But I think it's whole- more along the lines of Mark Murphy being able to read the room, as we touched on last week, about saying – we're not going to try this in the media. And then he writes a column and then he has a comment where he quotes Ted Thompson, which I think is kind of offensive in the fact that you're quoting a guy like Ted Thompson, who is no longer around to say what he was talking about. Even if it's true, read the room. Yeah, it's, it, it is going to be an interesting thing to see how those Packers organization continues to, to go about handling the Aaron Rodgers situation and you mentioned it before we started recording and I I think it was a really good point if you're going to listen to anybody about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and what he's going to do you can listen to guys like James Jones uh, if you want to you can listen to media reports you can listen to, to you know listen to Benjamin Albright if you want to but the people you want to listen to and you said this before we started are are guys that play with him right now like Devontae Adams and uh, he does not believe that Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay in the slightest. And if that's what Devontae Adams is saying, like you said, that's, uh, that says a lot. It, it doesn't necessarily say he's going to be a Denver Bronco because there's still a lot to be worked out there. But if he's not in Green Bay, where is he going to be? Denver seems like a nice place. And that's something else that Benjamin Albright said in that interview is that he wants to be in Denver. That I mean that that's some of the new, that that's another bit of news coming from Albright is that Aaron Rodgers wants to be in Denver. The Broncos are the team that he wants to go to. So we can end this talk about the Las Vegas Raiders because no one in their right mind wants to go to that crap show, literally and figuratively. <laughs> crap show because their stadium looks like a toilet. That's hilarious. Yeah. I like that. I know I shouldn't explain and it their franchise is crap <laughs> and their fan base is crap. It's just all so perfectly. It's like. It's like such a good metaphor. I love it. I like that and, it all works out. And Mark Davis's hair. Oh, what? I when you I I feel bad for people who have terrible hair and can't do anything about it. But when you have that kind of money, you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see that sitting on top of your head and you think to yourself, "Yeah, pretty good. I'm going to go outside like this." I have to imagine that you are either completely delusional. You have people that surround you who are lying to you about how good you look in quotation marks, or you have decided to just troll everybody. Like you are like, I look terrible. I know I look terrible. I'm going to shove it in everyone's face and pretend I don't look terrible. I, I can't imagine it's anything else. It just like, and you're Al Davis's kid. I hate Al Davis. When Al Davis died, I called my dad and said, well, Al Davis is dead. And that was it. That was, I was, I was fine with it. If Al Davis looked cool, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that right now. Al Davis looked cool. He, his hair was always right. He always had the glasses. He did the whole, like the whole thing, right? Had the mafia jumpsuit. Yeah, he was, he looked cool. Like it's not an, it's not a look I would go for, but it wasn't an embarrassing look. It, 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 you, he didn't look like he belonged in Dumb and Dumber, right? He's, that's just, He's carrying, Mark Davis is carrying the spirit of Lloyd Christmas alive as long 
as he goes out in public with that haircut. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. We've and, and we've, speaking of dumb and dumber, I brought something up to you, and I can't believe I missed it. But in the opening credits of Dumb and Dumber, I've seen the movie. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theaters when it came out yes, in the mid-90s. Uh-huh, absolutely. I just now realized that they misspelled the titles of the people in the opening credits. Yeah. I when you so when you you sent me that message, we were we were chatting back and forth on Slack or whatever. And you sent me that. It was one of those things where I, I told you this. I feel like that's something I probably did know at one time. I had to have known it at one time, right? I love that movie. I, like you said, I watched it probably 50, 60 times. Uh, it, it's hilarious. I feel like that's something I would have known and then probably forgotten and am happy to have learned again. See, you can relearn things and they can make you happy. And that is hilarious. I mean, and, and listen, everybody, we landed on the moon. It's fantastic. And how ironic is it that you learn something from a movie called Dumb and Dumber? It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, all right. Um, any other stuff out of mini camp that we need to talk about? Uh, I know Baron Browning has an injury. That's, uh, you know, the Broncos rookie lower leg, who knows what's going to happen with that. I saw that figure we'd mention it because it is something to probably keep your eye on, but I don't know. I feel like third round rookies have a tendency to not matter so much for the first couple seasons of their career. So I'm, I don't mind tabling that and not being too worried about it. I think one thing that you mentioned, you mentioned Noah Fenton, Drew Locke. I think it's important to bring up Teddy Bridgewater and Jerry Judy. They seem to be developing a rapport as well. And that's, I mean, that can't be a bad thing, right? No, I think it's like, it is going to be interesting if you have half your wide receiver group and tight end group who love Drew Locke and the other half who love Teddy Bridgewater and like, Maybe you have Cortland Sutton on one side and Jerry Judy sitting on the other, and they're 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 at odds about who they want throwing them the football. It almost feels like a situation where you have to get carry two catchers because you know this group of pitchers likes this catcher and this group of pitchers likes that catcher. Remember Hobby Lopez in the '90s wasn't allowed to catch for Greg Maddox because Greg Maddox just didn't like him, and so they had to carry another catcher, which is kind of like what the Yankees are doing with Garrett Cole and Kyle Higashioka. So I mean. <laughs> It's, is, is that the situation they're going to be in after all this? doesn't matter who wins minicamp. It's all about, you know, who wins Jerry Judy over or Cortland Sutton over. Is that the idea? Because that could make for a messy locker room. I think it could be a nightmare situation. Actually, that, you know, what we may have stumbled on something a little bit scary. I, I feel like Jerry Judy is professional enough and uh, Cortland Sutton is professional enough. I don't think they'll let it affect them too much. But if it becomes an issue halfway through the season, if one of the, you know, if someone's starting to feel like quarterback A or quarterback B, I don't care which one is which, isn't getting them the ball when they should, and the other guy would do a better job, that might rear its ugly head, say week six or seven, depending on how the Broncos are doing. That could. I, and I think to move on a little bit, I wrote a story on Tuesday for playcolorado.com about focusing on Von Miller's individual awards odds, but also some of the other players and, and awards they could potentially get. And there's some intriguing stuff that I discovered through all this. And we've talked about Von Miller and how excited we are that he's going to be back and how much of an impact he's going to have on this defense. What I find interesting is that he's – up for NFL comeback player of the year, obviously when he misses a full year. But as I told you this, 
been researching this since the Associated Press started giving the award again in 1988. A defensive player has won Comeback Player of the Year three times. Defensive end Joe Johnson in 2000, defensive end Greg Ellis in 2007, and Eric Berry in 2015. So the last guy as a defensive player to win Comeback Player of the Year had cancer. Came back from a big one. You know, cancer is kind of, you know, the big C. I, I definitely understand that. Uh, so he, Von Miller's odds, are at, at least at DraftKings, are at plus 1,600. Not bad. I would not, I would not place that bet because he's not going to win it. So he would have to have a monster year. And I'm talking he breaks Michael Strahan's single-season sack record. That is the only way Von Miller is going to win comeback player of the year as a defensive player. I think I see where you're going. I, I don't know if it has to be like that, that great, but I, I do believe, and this is where I think our conversation is going here. So I'm going to, I'm going to snag it a little bit. Um, I do believe that if he wins defensive player of the year, he is far and away by leaps and bounds. He has to be comeback player of the year to go from missing an entire season to coming back into the league and winning defensive player of the year. That's comeback player of the year. That's I mean, there's no other way to say it. So I think the only way he wins comeback player of the year is if he plays well enough to win the defensive player of the year, maybe not win it. Maybe he loses to Aaron Donald in a, you know, very close because Aaron Donald is a freak of nature and we should all be terrified of what he can do. Uh, but one of those situations, right. Where you've got a, you've, you've got a guy like Von Miller who is this close, right. He's just like, one sack away from well, you gotta you gotta make him defensive player of the year, whatever it might be, whatever the stats might be, that would get him comeback player of the year. I think. I think you're right about that. And so it actually begs the question: How good is Von Miller going to be in this comeback season for him? He missed a whole year, a year that we all thought he was going to be incredible. He looked like going into 2020, Von Miller looked like he was going to wreck the league. And then you have this sort of weird non-contact injury that sidelines him for the year. Now what can he still, because now he's a year older too. And I know that age is just a number, but age is also something that catches up with everybody. Can he recover, be the guy he was going to be in 2020? Cause I believe he was going to set records in 2020 and being paired with Bradley Chubb. Finally, like, can he be that guy? That's the question. In terms of odds to win defensive player of the year, at least at DraftKings, he's at plus 3,300. That is a much better price if you want to place a wager on Von Miller to win an award. And I will say that even if Von Miller does win defensive player of the year, I still don't think he would win comeback player of the year. That's a quarterback award. It's probably going to go to someone like Dak Prescott or Joe Burrow, especially if Joe Burrow has the kind of year now that they have a receiver for him that he played with at LSU, it's probably going to go to one of those two. So even if Von Miller does win defensive player of the year, I still think it's highly unlikely he'll win comeback player of the year. That 3,300 right now, if you were to jump on that, it would be a good price for you because let's say the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers just as it did with the team odds for the futures for the AFC, AFC West, and the Super Bowl, they shot up just on a rumor. If they get Aaron Rodgers, and Benjamin Albright says it's 60-40 that it happens, Von Miller is going to have those odds to win Defensive Player of the Year shoot up. 
which means it's not as good if you want to place a wager on it. So jump in it's now. something to consider. I, I think <laughs> it's, that's the most likely. I don't obviously do it responsibly. Don't bet your mortgage on it. But if you have a couple bucks, it might be a, it, it's a, it's a good, it's a good price where you could get something in return if it happens. I was talking to my brother. I have to, I have to mention this to you because you'll think it's funny. I was talking to my brother on uh, it was last Friday. It was his birthday. You know, he's sitting in his hangar. He's a helicopter pilot in the Navy, and he didn't get to fly because of lightning or whatever. And there was a whole story behind it. it didn't matter. So we started talking about bet, just bets in general. Right? Something came up about you know placing a bet on something, and I think I talked about having uh, placed bets on. I think I I bet the Broncos to win the Super Bowl. Um, I should probably cash that in, by the way, and <laughs> I should now get whatever I can out of it. Uh, but he, he said, well, how much did you bet? I said, I think I think I literally think it was like a $10 bet. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't throw a lot of money around. He's like, wow, that much. And I said, why, what do you do? He's like, well, I put 10 cents on, I was like, stop right there. How much? It's like, oh, I put 10 cents on France to win the euros. He put 10 cents on France, Italy, Spain, Germany, and, uh, Belgium. Belgium's the favorite and Belgium and France are the two favorites. So he put 10 cents on each one of those. I was like, 10 cents, like a dime. He's like, yeah, a dime. He bets, he bets dimes. He literally, he, like he has a hundred dollars or something like that in his account or some, some close. And he only bets dimes. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, well, it just makes it interesting. No, it doesn't. I find dimes all the time. I, I probably find more dimes than you do winning. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, as someone who covers the industry and preaches responsible gaming, I love that because he, he, I mean, when I place bets on the draft, like I was freaking out. Like I have no idea how people do that on a day-to-day right. basis on games. Like it's just too much, but 10 cents. Absolutely. I mean, it, it works for your brother. I think if, if it's what he wants to do, I think that's perfect. I think every single person has to do what, what they feel is right for them. And no one, limit. no one should tell you what your limit is. You set your limit and you go forward. I think that's perfect. I think that's the exact sports betting strategy that should be, uh, should be practiced by everybody. I almost feel like I will say this though. I almost feel like when I hit on a bet where I didn't make a big wager, because like, I don't, I don't make big wagers. Like I said, it's like a dollar here, a dollar there, $5, $10. It's low money. When I hit on a bet and I, you know, I, I bet $10 and I hit on a bet and I win 150 bucks, that's pretty good odds. I did a nice job, right? That's fantastic. Man, if I would have just bet a hundred bucks, oh, I should have put $10,000 on. Like it, it, I almost get like better's remorse for winning. Like if I lose, I lose. It's like, oh, whatever I lost. I knew I, I was willing to lose that money. And then when I, when I win, I feel bad that I didn't bet more. So I'm now I'm mad at myself for not being more confident in myself and placing a bigger bet. Like it's the dumbest thing ever. Be happy you won, idiot. Speaking of that, on a side tangent, the thing that drives me the most nuts is when I see these major wager alerts come across on social media and it's somebody who throws $60,000 on the money line and it's on the favorite. So they legitimately would win like $3,000. That is a horrible investment. Like legitimately, that is a horrible bet. Why are you throwing $60,000 on the favorite on a money line where you could lose $60,000 and only win $3,000? Legitimately, that is an idiotic bet. It's not great. 
It's not great. I like that we tangent into a tangent. I think that was yeah. fun. That was we've now done two tangents, which I'm I don't know what the geometry is of that, but it's multiple lines. And I think it might actually bring us back to talking about the Broncos because we were talking about individual awards. And the other individual award that you could put some money on that I think would be legitimate is putting money on Patrick Sertan to win defensive rookie of the year. I, I think that that looks like and sounds like a solid prospect especially with what James Palmer said on on Tuesday uh, in in the midst of uh, the first day of mandatory minicamp and at DraftKings he's at plus 1400 so not great but not bad either if you still let's say you put a hundred dollars down you'd still win potentially 1500 bucks that's a good investment that's a good bet it's the complete opposite of throwing 60,000 <laughs> on a money line favorite. Um, and I think another interesting, intriguing option is Javante Williams as offensive rookie of the year. If he is anywhere close to what Josina Anderson was told by somebody in the league who said that he's the best running back in the draft, he has the ability to be a thousand yard rusher and receiver like Christian McCaffrey. He's as physical as Nick Chubb, as gifted as Alvin Kamara on third down and as patient as, patient as Le'Veon Bell. He's the MF in truth. He's at plus 2000 right now. That's an interesting one. The thing that, and I said this in the story at playcolorado.com, the skepticism might come from current Broncos offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, and how he utilizes Javante Williams. But that, that's intriguing. Absolutely. And, and another guy who is very high on, on Javante Williams is Cecil Lamy, he's a friend of the show. Uh, so, uh, there's, there's a few people who I trust, at least with their uh, reporting, that are, that are pretty excited about what he could be for the Denver Broncos. I, and I think that uh, it is kind of uh, – it, it is potentially a very exciting time. I know we've sort of been Debbie Downer about – at least I have – about the quarterback situation and what that means for the prospects of this team. But if you look at this roster, you look up and down the roster, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of potential there, that, that very scary P-word potential – uh, to be very good, maybe not compete with your Kansas City Chiefs of the world, but to find a spot in the playoffs, the expanded playoffs, the, the, the bigger, uh, the, you know, the, the extra game on the schedule, all of those things are going to play potentially into the hands of a team like the Denver Broncos, even with Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke being the, the quarterback moving forward, if one of them can actually be good enough to give them those extra three to six points. I need someone to like do the math on that for me. Is it three to six points? Is that what we're really looking for? I'm yes. not going to do the math. I hate math. I can't do it. But if somebody else wants to look into it, I'd, I'd love to hear if I'm correct on that because it feels right to me. Yeah, I think it is right. And I'm, I'm going to give another potential intriguing option. And again, this goes back to if Aaron Rodgers is traded to the Broncos, head coach of the year. Vic Fangio is at plus 2,200 to win the award right now. Well, let's say the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers. He helps them win the AFC West. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Wouldn't that automatically make Vic Fangio the favorite? He's the guy at that point. I mean, you almost have to give it to him. But it also sort of would indicate to me, and this is my thought there on that, is he the head coach of the year or did they just get Aaron Rodgers? You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. He, he makes that defense what that defense is as far as scheming goes, uh, putting, you know, putting guys in positions that they need to be in to be successful. All of that stuff comes from the coaching standpoint. And I certainly would agree with you that 
if they were to make the playoffs, if they were to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, if all of those things were to happen, he's up there for, for coach of the year. Aaron Rodgers makes all of those things easier. So I'm not opposed to saying, yeah, that would be the right way to go. But there will be those people out there that say, well, he's coach of the year because Aaron Rodgers showed up. But then you got to ask the question, how many guys won coach of the year because of the quarterback that showed up? You know, exactly. I, I think, think that, about, that I think about Phil Jackson with Michael Jordan and then going to the Lakers with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. And the last thing on this betting stuff, and as I said, pre, I, I preach responsible gaming, have a limit in mind, know your limit and use it. The other thing that I'm going to say is bet the numbers. Don't bet the team. Always find the numbers where you have the best opportunity to win. Don't bet the team. Bet the, bet the numbers. That's And then, as I said, listen to your gut. If you have a feeling, go for it. Throw a couple bucks down. But don't go crazy. Know your limit. I'll tell you what you shouldn't bet on, and I'm going to tangent us again. Uh, don't bet on any Colorado sports right now. Like, avoid it. Uh, not that you can anymore, uh, but it, it, it's been a rough week uh, or so. Rough for- two weeks. <laughs> Uh, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of blame, but I'm mostly gonna put pass it off onto the Rockies. Uh, I was on Ryan and Ben's show, Broncos Country tonight. Uh, we talked about how exciting it was to be a fan in Denver, the Nuggets and the Abs and the playoffs. And I think they lost every single game after my appearance on their show. Uh, so my bad. I will. Uh, we've discovered that we're not allowed to talk about other teams. Like we always, I'm we're bad luck. That's. And apparently that carries over from the podcast to uh, other radio shows. So, oops. Although this is really the fault of the Rockies. It is, because as you mentioned, the Rockies tweeted sports capital of the world and legitimately both the Avs and the Nuggets did not win another game after that tweet. I might be hyperbolic with that and I might be slightly off, but I'm not that far off. The best part, I think, of that is that I don't think the Rockies had won a game since then as well. Until just, and they still haven't until, won on the road since then. Until just yeah, they won just yesterday against uh, who are they playing the Padres? It's the Padres. Yes, yeah, they actually beat the Padres, which is uh, wait what they beat the Padres? But uh, that's their it was first at home win. though, wasn't it? it? Was at home, so it, does, it counts. But you did have a very interesting. What was the number? It looked like they were going to lose. Was it seventy games or seventy-five games? Well, I was I was I was joking because they've won five games on the road and they may not win another one. So I joke they may be five and seventy six on the road this year. That would be uh, impressive. I, I think legitimately they might not break double digits on the road as bad as they are. That's that is and that is a, a legitimate possibility. What are this team what are the betting odds on that? Bad. <laughs> they are bad on the road. Like and the thing that and. People who follow me on social media know I am a big Colorado Avalanche fan. We've had Trevor Sikama on. He is a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, but he's also a closet Colorado Avalanche fan. The fact that the Colorado Avalanche lost four straight games to the Las Vegas Golden Knights, I still haven't gotten over because they had legitimate shots to win two of those games. They faced some adversity, and as they did in two years ago against the San Jose Sharks and last year against the Dallas Stars, they buckled under the pressure for the third year in a row. They have got to figure this out. That is the biggest hurdle for this team is to how to overcome adversity. And when I think back at that, that especially the 2001 Stanley Cup champion team that 
uh, finally got Ray Bork his, his championship. That team faced so much adversity in the playoffs because they swept through Vancouver in the first round. Then they go and play L.A. They take, they take a 3-1 lead. L.A. comes back, wins two games, forces a game seven. They win the series. But then Peter Forsberg is out for the remainder of the playoffs because his spleen was literally about to rupture. And he wanted to come back and play. The Avs had to tell him, dude, you can't do that. You just had your spleen removed. Hockey players. Yet they go on and beat the St. Louis Blues in five games. Then they go on and they host the New, the New Jersey Devils. And I will never forget this. New Jersey comes in game five at the Pepsi Center. Devils win. They go back to New Jersey for game six. The Stanley Cup is in the building. You have Martin Brodeur, who is a basically the young equivalent of Patrick Waugh. The Avs find a way to win that game. I think everyone in the NHL and the hockey world and the avalanche we were about, what, 20 years old at that point? I wasn't quite 20. Uh, I was almost 21. It was, tw- it was 2001, right? So, yes. yeah, I turned, tw- I turned 21 that August. So Yeah, I was 20 uh, that, at that when they won. I was 20 years old. And I think everyone knew that the Az were going to – there's no way they were going to lose that game seven. But that's what, that's what the current iteration of the Avalanche have got to figure out. They have got to figure out how to not buckle – when they face some adversity. And I wonder how much of this, and I know this is a Broncos podcast. It's all right. But I wonder how much the Avalanche beating the Golden Knights 7-1 to in that first game inflated their egos. That's an interesting point. You know, it's an interesting question. It's, I don't know that there's a way to answer it, but it certainly felt good to watch that win. But I do remember, and, I, and this is something I always sort of say, uh, when you see a team just whooping on another team, save some for the next game, right? You always a, that sort of thought. Like same in baseball, you know, you see it, you see a team put up 25 runs one night, uh, which is an astronomical number in baseball, obviously, and then they don't score any runs the next night. And you're thinking to yourself, should have saved some of those runs for the next night. And and I go back to the 1960 World Series uh, between the Yankees and the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the New York Yankees outscored the Pittsburgh Pirates in that series by a large number, but they lost the series because every game that they lost, they lost by one run. And Bill Mazeroski hit a game winning home run uh, to win uh, that, to win that world series. Well, I mean, incredible, right? Very, very cool. They scored way more runs than the pirates, but save some of those runs for the next game, because if you score all your runs in one game or if you score all your goals in one game, and you don't save them for the next one. I don't know if that's going to work. Football doesn't work that way. I have never felt that way about football i've never seen a blowout in a football game and thought well you should save some of those points for next week that just doesn't happen it's just a totally different world and to speak about the nuggets yes they were do we have to do we have to they were without jamal murray but i still think it's a disappointment that you get swept by the suns but i've joked and and just place who does his something something broncos podcast Longtime Nuggets fan, just like us, grew up in Denver, went to old McNichols. I joke all the time that until the Nuggets get over the Western Conference, until they win the Western Conference and actually make it to the NBA Finals, I don't get excited about the team because I've been burned so many times, mainly because the three times they've been in the Western Conference Finals, they've lost to the freaking Lakers. Yeah, that sucks. 
you know, and it was sort of a tough out for the for the Nuggets with Nikola Jokic winning the MVP, uh, and then he gets it's the flagrant two, exits the game, and then of course they you know Suns in four, and everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say Suns in four. Uh, Suns in four. We all saw that uh, saw that video. Um, it's a tough time to be a Colorado sports fan. That's all you can say about it. And then the Rockies were on pace for 100 losses. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.